filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. This land is your land, and this land is mine. So, guys, uh, since we don't have a soccer team to cover uh, that has games right now, uh, what have you been doing with your your spare time? Spare time, dude. I I have a two year old. Time is something that is completely flexible to the amount of stuff that has to get done, and it the stuff that takes done will take up all the time, no matter how much it is. So it tells me that you're just doing the same amount of stuff you did before, minus writing, and that stuff is just taking a little longer now. It's taking longer, or it's more stuff comes up somehow, that okay. or, or stuff that needed to get done that wasn't getting done now is possibly uh, get my house is much cleaner now. Okay. Um, now our wives yeah. finally stop presenting the soccer that we watch? I wouldn't go that far. A- Adam, your answer is cleaning. Yeah, it seems to be. <laughs> That's cleaning the one-word one version of yours is cleaning. <laughs> Which I had to work my way around to. My one-word my one word uh, answer would probably be reading. I'm just reading more varied stuff and, like, actual books. Like, I checked out a physical paper book from a actual human library today. You're saying words, a, and they just don't make any sense, Ben. It's a very librarian <laughs> answer. Well... Um, Yes. <laughs> that would that would explain it. I understood all the words. It's just the order and context <laughs> of them didn't make any sense. Jason, how about you? Well, I was going to say I have to go to a physical library to vote tomorrow. Um, Me too. But, uh, what, yeah. what I've been doing... Oh, you go to high school? All right. Yep. I don't know why ours is at the post or the, the library. I guess it's probably not enough people to justify <laughs> the high school, if I'm being honest. Um, because it doesn't inconvenience an entire high school worth of children? Eh, and, make them cl- and make them close their school? No, eh. they don't have to close it. We're on a like a separate floor, basically. Like the back entrance is on a floor lower than oh, the front Virgin- entrance. At least and- in Richmond, they're closing most of the schools because they're oh, all wow. voting. They're all voting. Lo- at least the elementary schools because they're all voting locations. Oh wow! No, we we line up in the hallway by the pool on the the ground floor of Dunbar High School and vote and never run into the high school kids at all. Wait, do you jump into the pool after you vote as like a celebratory kind of thing? No, because I vote on my why way not? to work. But why don't you jump in the pool? Because I'm wearing my work clothes. You and got a have pool right there, man. Pocket. But you've got a pool right there. And I can jump in it and swim when I need to, so I don't really feel the urge to do it when I don't want to. Lame. Do you use sweet jackknives into that pool? Uh, there's no diving. Oh, come on. I've swim- anyway. You swim laps in the pool. Um, what I've been doing is uh, I'm actually, like, up to date on a TV show that I'm interested in, oh. which is, like, something that only happens between November and uh, January for me in my life. TV show. Uh, the show Westworld. All right. Ah. I'm, I'm with you. I have been... I haven't watched this past week's yet, uh, yesterday's as we record, but I'm mostly up and really confused and curious and interested to see 
where it goes. With a almost three-month-old, I am only able at this moment to consume television shows through Netflix or similar. Yeah. H- like soccer, oh. soccer game. I don't have HBO Go. I mean, there. the thing for me is whenever I talk to people about TV shows, and it's people that have more going on, people with, with small children, etc., um, and yet they still always watch more TV than me. And I can't figure out what percentage of this is just my horrible management of time. Um, and I just don't have time for it. And, and it's not because I didn't have time. It's just that I end up without enough time to do it. I wouldn't or, say they watch more television than you. I think they watch more scripted television and less televised sporting events than you. Maybe. Uh, but it seems like they're up on that, too. I, I don't know. It, it seems like when I talk to people, they've got like 28 hour days that they, they have. Uh, and so they're always they, all of their time is taken, but they do have time to watch a TV show or two uh, from time to time, uh, which puzzles me. People play video games. I, I've I've gotten. Uh, yeah, I fired I no football manager people. up for the first time since like July because I just had not had time for it. Um, I had to That's react. A- Okay. That's another thing I did. I fired up uh, Mass Effect. I'm replaying Mass Effect for like the third time. And I had actual like I had like an hour to do that uh, now that there's no DC United. Yeah, don't react sound so happy me. about it, Ben. <laughs> I mean, Mass Effect is awesome. I mean, yes, it's very sad that DC United is out, but I got no an hour with Mass Effect. No, but it stops. You don't have to add a but to the end. It's just sad. You should clean. Do other things that aren't great. I did clean. I, I spent two hours cleaning the kitchen yesterday. Okay. You actually told hey, us Hey, hey, welcome that. in. This is Filibuster, the kitchen cleaning and black and red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason. I don't know what to do with my free time. Anderson, we are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and lots more. Tonight, we are talking about both of those things. Uh, DC United, we have... Uh, some off-season stuff to take care of that we will tell you about. We're going to talk about the MLS Cup playoffs, and we are going to talk about uh, the coming not-so-cold war. I don't know how to say not-so in Spanish, so I can say the not-so-guerra-fria, which sounds like not-so-war, and I'm just talking myself in a circle here, so I'm going to stop and say before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I kind of I, I kind of come up with... Uh... It's something kind of new. I think I've drank it once or twice on the show. Um, it, it's a like a tequila Tom Collins kind of thing. Um, but in this case, uh, I did not have unflavored sparkling water. So I have lime sparkling water um, with lemon juice and a little, I think it's three dashes of bitters and tequila and a little, a little bit of simple syrup. So there's kind of a, a like Sprite thing going on. Um but not it doesn't taste like I dumped tequila in Sprite. Uh, that would be dreadful. Um, yes. But it's pretty good. Um, I, I, at first, I was not sure about it, but I've mixed it up a little more since we, we were prepping for the show, and now I think it's it's turning out pretty well. Good. I'm drinking Sierra Nevada's Otrevez, which is a, a Goza-style ale uh, brewed with cactus and grapefruit and has a kind of a salty thing going on, which is kind of neat are you gonna are you gonna give one to uh steven streff because it has cactus in it? <laughs> that's a little inside joke um listeners that to to the black and red united staff steven, that ben just steven is a huge uh a huge fan of eating cactus so if you see he, him you should give him give you him should ask him about eating cactus and when you do it make a grimacing face 
That's or the just important give part. him a cactus. Uh, he'll know what you're doing. He'll understand. <laughs> yes. Sort of. Um, or if you see him, just yell cactus. You don't even have to give one to him. Just <laughs> yell the word cactus. Or if you can yell the emoji for cactus, that works too. Anyway, it's it's pretty tasty. Ben, what are you drinking? So I had I had plans to make the drink that I made uh, yesterday while I was cleaning said kitchen, which was a Bloody Maria, uh, which is a Bloody Mary with tequila instead of uh, vodka, because vodka is gross and disgusting. Um, but I didn't have time to do that. And after eating... Uh, after eating the turkey burgers that I cooked for dinner, uh, a Bloody Mary was going to be a little too heavy. So I went with a drink I've definitely had on this po- podcast many, many times. And I just went with uh, Coke Zero and bourbon. I was really hoping you were going to say a Manhattan. Um, but Yep. I mean, I often make those too. Yeah. And it would have been appropriate for like- the losing ways of the New York teams that we'll get to exactly. in a bit. Ben, I feel like you just recapped all of your drinking over the past three days, because those are all Mm -hmm. drinks that I've heard you have in the last three days. (laughs) That's true, too. Yep. Ben is nothing if not an open book. Which, again, appropriate for a librarian. What kind of sex? All right, let's talk about uh, DC United, because DC United never stops here on Filibuster. Um First up on our list is Steve Birnbaum, who was named to the roster for Friday night's game against Mexico for the U.S. men's national team. No Bill Hamid, no Perry Kitchen on this one. So Birnbaum will be uh, the lone representative for the black and red if he makes the field, which there's no guarantee even with Jeff Cameron out. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Uh, But... I do wonder, I do want to go quickly, Ben, and, and ask whether you think he will get on the field. Um, I think it's been proven that Jurgen actually likes Birnbaum. And so without Jeff Cameron, uh, I mean, I could definitely see him going John Brooks and Matt Beasler, which I would disagree with, but I could, I think is very, very likely. Well, he, uh, he looks at Brooks as a left side center back as oh, well and as Beasler. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so it's, it's I think Omar Brooks, Gonzalez, right? Yeah, that's right. So Brooks is probably ahead of Beasler. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Birnbaum. Now that he's switched to being DC United's right-sided center back, uh, has a de- has a decent shot. I mean, I feel like Birnbaum is and has been in front of Omar Gonzalez, uh, and so yeah, I think it's possible. I wouldn't be though. I. My gut tells me that Jurgen will somehow Jurgen this up and not put Birdbomb on the field. That's something Jurgen is famous for doing, Jurgening things up. Yep. Uh, next bit of DC United news Amos McGee reportedly uh, moving to Minnesota United FC as their, I think, head of player personnel is the, the rumor. He came in from the Portland Timbers. He's been uh, one of Ben Olsen's assistants, one of the, the bench coaches, and uh, I think he was mostly working with the offense um, in training. He also helped out with the youth sides. Um, generally, I think considered to be a, a good get for a coach in MLS. We were we were happy when he came over, and yeah. it coincided with with good things happening. I don't know how much of United's um, goal scoring outburst to end the 2016 regular season can be laid at his feet, but I, I assume the answer is greater than zero like some portion of it is probably uh was influenced at least by him so uh if he does go best of luck to him um 
but I wouldn't mind him staying either. <laughs> I I will point out that uh, McGee left Portland, who went from MLS Cup winners to not in the playoffs. Um, I don't. I'm not saying that that's obviously going to follow or anything, but um, there is at least some anecdotal, circumstantial evidence pointing to him being uh, a pretty good coach, and he's extremely well respected around the league. Um, but he has a lot of history with the. I want to say that organization, but really all of the various Minnesota soccer organizations mm-hmm. uh, that have come and gone. He's, I think, childhood friends with uh, Manny Lagos, who's kind of running yes. the show up there. So um, it's one of those things a little bit like um, – I mean, we, we've lost some assistant coaches in recent years, and they've all been yeah. kind of different. Um, with Josh Wolf, at least he has – a longer history with Greg Berhalter uh, during his playing days than he did with, with Ben Olsen. Um, Pat Onstead went to Toronto and, you know, probably most likely in pursuit of a much larger contract because TFC can just do that. Well, he um, also, he was also a scout for them for a while first. Yeah. He, he didn't he go step yeah. back from day to day coaching. Well, I don't know if it was step back or it, you know, it, we could live in a world where TFC was willing to offer more for, um, that scouting position than DC yeah. could afford to offer for an assistant coaching position. Um, but, you know, it's a good sign that in a way it's a good sign that DC keeps losing coaches. Uh, and yeah. I mean, I'm kind of jumping to the conclusion that he's going to go. Um, but, you know, you don't want coaches that no one else wants. That's a bad sign. Um, but it would be nice to, and, you know, at Buzzard Point, we'll have the luxury to, potentially offer coaches enough money where we can compete financially and, and a team like Columbus isn't coming in and saying we can offer Josh Wolf more money than you um, because you shouldn't really be outbid by the crew. Um, it's right. If, if not the smallest, are they 19th or 20th as far as market size? Yeah. Um, them or RSL, they're, they're down yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You shouldn't be getting outbid for them, but you know, when you are kneecapped uh, financially by where you play your games, these things happen. That's all the news uh, from the last week in DC United land, but we do have an ongoing series that made its return uh, for 2016 that I call cake or death. It's our, it's our season review at DC United where we go through the entire roster player by player in alphabetical order and put up uh, an up or down question at the end. Uh, Should this player or would you like this player to return to DC United next year? And so we have the the first five names to go through if you guys are ready. Uh, as long as you admit that it is actually uh, Goat or Fox. I Ex- will not exactly, admit that. Exactly I what I was going to say. Well, then two, against, admit- two against one, it is now podcast law. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to win the vote. I want Adam to admit that it's, it's Goat or Fox. I'm not going to. So, so we're going to have first- a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> the first... 15 hour episode <laughs> which no just uh-uh. occasionally broken up by me saying so are you gonna admit it now or not and i'm saying no let me go to I, sleep i will end the episode before that and you guys will you can't like, you can't end the episode i can sign off and hang up can, this call you can leave we're, i can leave exactly we can, we can also call your cell phone in the middle of the night <laughs> and i can turn it off Anyways, onwards with Goat and Fox. Goat or Fox. Luciano Acosta is first up in Cake or Death, um, which is so easy to remember. You don't have to correct yourself. 
Um, he he came in. Or you're just this, better at speaking. Possibly both. I don't see why those have to be. I'm just the producer and heckler. I don't understand why those have to be mutually exclusive. Uh, Lucho Acosta came in uh, this preseason on loan from Boca Juniors. Um, DC United is currently exploring or trying to exercise their option to buy him outright from Boca. He began the year uh, as a sub, but came into every single game until uh, late in the season when uh, Ben Olsen rotated the starters. He was up there with Sean Franklin and Taylor Kemp as the only players to play in every game uh, well past the midway point of the season. Uh, I think he tied for something like seventh in the league in assists with 11 on the year with had some goals to go along with that, including a beautiful chip, some great combination play, especially after Patrick Mullins came on board. Uh, this will be the easiest call of, of a year where we have actually a few easy calls to make Ben cake or death goat Jason cake or death strong goat. It's, it's cake and it's, it's the best cake. Um, please come back Lucho. We will give you cake. If you want goats, we will give you goats. We will find a way to make you happy. If you want to stay away from cows, we will keep you away from cows. I think that's more an Albanian thing. I'm just saying, if that's what he wants, that's we'll fair. give it to him. That's fair. Uh, next up on our list, uh, not not as easy a call, Miguel Aguilar, uh, second-year player this year for DC United, didn't have the impact uh, a lot of people wanted him to have after, at least after his rookie year preseason, where he scored a couple of crazy good goals in Austin. Um, he rotated back and forth between United and the Richmond kickers down in USL. Um, Ben, what are you giving him and why? I ended up actually giving him Fox or death uh, because I was pretty disappointed at his USL play. He played over a thousand minutes uh, for the Richmond kickers and scored one goal, uh, which if he's, and, and even even shuttling back and forth from DC to Richmond, I would expect more out of a an MLS ca- caliber uh, attacking player. I mean, I don't. I never thought he was going to score the same amount of goals that Rob Vincent did in USL, because uh, he 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 played with that team the entire year uh, and things like that. But Rob Vincent scored eighteen goals, and he's now our defensive midfielder. Um, I think Miguel Aguilar, we should have expected at least five to seven goals and a couple of assists out of him. And the fact that he scored one is pretty, pretty disappointing. Jason? Uh, I have a hard time seeing where his, uh, where his future is with the team. I mean, once he was already not really getting minutes, he was already struggling to find time or even get onto the bench. And then, United ended up acquiring Lloyd Sam. Um, Lamar Nagel is now a second-choice player. Uh, Kennedy Igboin and Ike can play on the wing. Um, Assuming that he's back next year. Right, well, that's not. a whole different thing. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a, a future show and also on, on the site. I think I have. I think I signed up to write that one. Um, <laughs> so, um, but, but still, right now, at least, as the roster is comprised, um, he has a ton of competition. Um, 
And it's never good for a young player in his second year to have the team going out and trading for a new a new face at that role um, rather than, you know, United's offense needed a shakeup and there wasn't even a game or two where they're like, well, let's see, let's throw him out there and see what happens. Um, I like Aguilar's skill set, um, but there are some some decision making issues that that came up a lot. Um, I still I'm kind of disappointed we never got to see him play as a second forward in a in a four four two, but that formation is gone, so it almost doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's hard to see where where he would fit in on this team and to add new faces next year. Some someone has to go, um, and so I would imagine that he might be better off as well playing you know for a a USL team full time or in the NASL. Um, if they exist next year. Right. You know, whatever guys the NASL happens to be under. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like him as a player, but I also don't see where he's going to fit in on this team where he'll ever get to play. And at this age, he has to be playing. So uh, I'm going to have to go with Fox, even though I do like Aguilar as a player. Yeah, I'm in the, the same boat. Um, I think there's room for a player of his quality at DC United, especially when he's not making a lot of money and he's next year potentially going to come off um, the books as an international player. But for his own good, he should probably move on somewhere where he can play. Either that, I mean, whether that's an assignment to Richmond for the entire year and actually being there for the entire year and getting some stability on that front. Or if they uh, could send him to like uh, Scandinavia, like they tried to do with Michael Seaton and that failed, but, they could send him to Scandinavia and he got a starting job there, like on loan. Yeah. Or yeah, literally anywhere yeah. Um, mm-hmm. just to get minutes. I think that would be potentially win-win because if he gets, if he does develop, like he probably should with consistent playing time, then maybe you get, you know, you get a good player back out of it with, and right. with neither, neither Patrick Nyarko nor Lloyd Sam is particularly old at this point. Neither of them is on their last legs. But at 30 and 32, there's, you know, you want right. some younger blood in there. And, and this is a good example of if DC United could afford it, of having a DC United 2 or B or whatever they end up yeah. calling them. Um, that would be a great place for him to be playing um, because you keep him within the organization. You keep you keep training him in, in the way that you want him to develop. Um, you keep working on what you think his his flaws are, and you keep emphasizing what you think his strengths are. He's still within your organization. He still understands the style of play that you want. And if you want to, and a bunch of teams with their B team have had an ex MLS player, or even cut someone, sent them, and then they end up on the USL team, and then they actually sign again. Um, mm-hmm. That's happened a few times now, um, and that's the kind of idea that you. That's the kind of thing you get in that situation. That United is still some number of years away from being able to pull off that. I don't think they're going to open buzzard point and immediately also open, um, a, a USL affiliate on their own. I think they're, you know, a good ways away from that, especially yeah, since I think- they don't, a lot of those teams play at a different facility than mm-hmm. the parent club. And we're not, we don't even have, you know, the ground hasn't been broken for the stadium. So we should probably not start thinking about where to build another stadium for a different team. Um, I know, Although that Bull, seems to Bull. be that that seems to be the the priority. I think what we've heard at at season ticket holder events 
and and elsewhere is that priority one is the stadium at Buzzard Point. Right. Priority two is a training complex, and priority three is a USL affiliate team right. in house. And a training a training uh, complex could even house could even house a small, um, you know, not even as big as the soccer plex. Because if we're being honest, you know, if you're in this area and you want to go see pro soccer, you're probably coming to Buzzard Point to watch the, those that team play. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the USL teams, I mean, FC Montreal uh, barely got like 100 people to come to games. Um, yeah. The Red Bulls, too, won the USL and set records doing so and still were getting like a couple hundred people to show up at Red Bull Arena for their games. Yeah, like I was, yeah. I was about to say, they actually yeah. did play at Red Bull Arena. Right. So, yeah, there's, I think I think that's also work. where the the at least from Antenna's perspective, it didn't work. Yeah, that's also where mm-hmm. the reported interest in uh, the Evergreen Sports Complex out past mm-hmm. Leesburg and right. way out in Loudoun County. Um, that's where that comes in because it's a little far. That's Kiefer for, country. Yeah, that's a little far for people not named Brian Kiefer to be commuting into Buzzer Point on the regular. But so you you could have its own kind of. But there are a lot of people out there, yeah. so you could have its own yeah. standalone minor league market while also being close enough to develop you, players and be able to see them. And you have to make, and we're kind of going away from the topic, but you know, you, when you open up your USL affiliate, you have to decide whether you want it to be a ticket selling endeavor that bolsters you financially, or if it's just purely developmental, um, right. with the Red Bulls, they've clearly decided like, it's just a developmental thing. If people come to well, the games, great, but you know, if and they especially, don't, and especially FC Montreal, because I think the average age of that team was like, 17 or 18. Yes. Right. Um, and that's not even is, a joke. Yeah. No, that's, and they finished last and they've, I think they finished last two years in a row, right? They were real bad. Yeah. Real, um, real but, bad. But, you know, they've made their but, yeah, decision. Yeah, that's not that, their goal. Yeah. They don't care if fans come out to watch FC Montreal play. They care whether those players get better or not. Um, and if that's mm-hmm. what, D, if that's what DC United wants to do, then, you know, they should probably just play the games at Buzzard Point and whoever shows up shows up and, and, yeah. you know, the emphasis is purely development. Um, I know RSL built a small stadium complex for the um, the Monarchs, their their B team. Um, the Sounders play out at Starfire, where they play their Open Cup games. Um, but That's a base- is that a baseball stadium? No, it's just an old turf stadium. Turf. Yeah, right? it's just an old turf stadium. It's very tiny. Um, yeah. It doesn't have seats on one side. Um, the Portland Timbers, their team plays at uh, Providence Park. Um, so everyone's going to have their own different situation. You've just, you've just got to make the right choice for your organization. You you don't you want to go into that with a plan rather than just saying like, well, we need a B team, and then you don't know why you did it. Um, right. My guess is that DC would probably f- focus more on development than on bolstering ticket sales with ticket sales to a B team. Right. Or they, they might do both where you can do both. Could it, can, see, it can be done. Right. You could see a separate branding like Swope Park Rangers mm-hmm. or a totally separate entity running the business while DC United yeah, maintains which is what, control uh, Houston, of the soccer, which, which is, is what, what Houston uh, Dynamo. Yeah, yeah. With Rio um, Grande. And they exactly. aren't even the Houston team isn't even that close to Houston. Um, yeah. The Rio Grande Valley is like a good distance away. I mean, it's Texas, yeah. so everything's far away. But um but yeah, that what they've got is, you know, the Dynamo are in charge of soccer decisions and other people invested financially in the business side are invested in that. So 
it behooves them to sell tickets because they put their money into it. And the Dynamo's job is just to make sure the soccer side is good enough so that those guys aren't trying to sell you on, you know, a team that's going to win three games all year. Mm -hmm. DC DC United should just buy the Baltimore uh, Bohemians. That that's acceptable. Yeah, or or just to you know provide the soccer part for the Bohemians. Yeah, and let the Bohemians keep running the ticket sales and corporate sponsorships. And yeah, everything. I mean, spe- I mean, if if the Wilmington Hammerheads move to Baltimore, then that probably becomes moot. But yeah, oh totally. Uh, if they don't, not not putting a, their USL team in Baltimore would probably be silly. That's fair. Let's go back to cake or death. Next up on the list, uh, U.S. national team uh, midfielder slash aerial presence um, dominator. I, I, I ran out of steam on that sentence. Steve Birnbaum. Uh, this will be really easy. We're just going to go through and all say cake, right? Cake. Goat. Goat. Next up on the list, team captain Bobby Boswell, Steve Birnbaum's partner in central defense. Um, didn't have the best year. Still was was pretty capable for a lot of it. Um, showed himself to be the, the second best center back on the team, I think, over the course of 34 games uh, during the regular season. That said, I, I don't think this is as open and shut as Burnbaum and Acosta, at least in the minds of a lot of our, our readers and listeners. So let's give this at least a couple minutes. Jason, where do you land on Bobby Boswell? Uh, I mean, in my book, uh, a lot of the times people criticize Boswell. A lot of times those mistakes aren't necessarily all his mistake. Um, there are breakdowns that happen that expose his lack of mobility and, you know, he does his best to get in a position to stop something, but he can't quite do it. And so we see he's the last man near the ball when the goal is scored. And so there's a tendency to assume that that person must have been responsible, but usually there's another breakdown involved. That being said, um, I do, I would like to see that mobility issue dealt with. Um, the problem is Kofi Opare, while he was healthy, didn't really seize the opportunity this year um, and unfortunately had a lot of time out with a concussion. Um, Jalen Robinson, we've, we've seen some promising play from him, but we've also seen, um, you know, the game uh, against NYCFC. Uh, he was very good for 75 minutes, but a center back needs to be good for 90. Mm-hmm. Um, so he still looked a little raw as far as that goes. So right now, I think Boswell is still the starting center back. He gives the team the best chance to win. Um, So with that, you know, keeping in mind, he's going to turn 34 next year. Um, At the very beginning of next year. Yes, very early in the season. Um, The good news is that he doesn't appear to be physically degrading at all um, because he's never been fast or mobile to begin with. Right. Um, So at least there's that. But uh, I think the the one – I think there's a certain element – uh, where people just want something new um, because he's a veteran, but he's not like a, a an especially great veteran where you're like, it's not like with RSL and Javier Morales um, where there's many years of him being a potential best 11 player. People don't want him to go uh, with Boswell because he's never quite going to be that good. People are like, well, well can't we do better here? Can't we do better here? Um, it's not really at the top of my list. I don't think, I think um, you can still, be a good team with him starting next year. Uh, so I'm going to go with GOAT. However, if DC United happens to go find um, 
a line on a, um, a better, more mobile center back, then absolutely they should make that move. And then you have to start wondering, is it worth, if he's going to be purely second choice, is it worth it? Um, is it worth it to him? Um, I don't know. But right now, uh, without that hypothetical player showing up uh, on, on DC's doorstep, uh, I think it's it's got to be GOAT. Ben? I mean, yeah, I agree with, unfortunately, I agree with everything that, Jason said, um, especially, I, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, cause it makes bad radio when we all agree, but, yeah. um, it, and all of that is especially true. If DC United sells Steve Birnbaum over the, over the winter break, then it's a hundred percent that Boswell is basically a hundred percent that Boswell is starting come, uh, early March of 2017. Um, but yeah, uh, Kofi isn't, didn't seize the chance. He's not ready to uh, step up and be an, and be a starter at this point. It doesn't seem uh, Jalen Robinson may or may not have passed him, but at least they are now in, they're definitely in competition for the third spot at the moment. So over the course of the preseason would need to determine which of them is ahead. And while I like Jalen Robinson, I don't, if Burnbaum gets sold, I don't know if I'm comfortable with him starting uh, as the starter uh, going into the season. So all of that is to say, I think Boswell will definitely be back and I want Boswell back because even if he's not a starter, I think he's a good presence for the team. He can still be like Captain Emeritus if he's not starting every game and uh, Sean Franklin or Steve Burnbaum or Bill Hamid can be the captain when he's not on the field and yeah, yeah. I, I, I want him around this team, even if it makes a little less financial sense if he's not starting, but I think he will be starting come early March at the very least. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, I think he showed some flexibility in his game this year, especially on the possession side of things. He, he became, uh, better with the ball over the course of, of this season. And it was important to United's change in style of play. Um, because if Boswell is being hyper um, risk averse and just booting the ball anytime a defend, uh, a, an attacker presses him within a few yards and just hits the panic button and launches it uh, out of bounds or upfield to nobody, um, that system can't play. So he kept the ball on the ground. He, he made some of those kind of old school Boswell runs into the attack from time to time. And uh, yeah, I it think he probably should have gotten into his um, ability to fly up the wing, catch up to a long ball and hit a yes. perfect cross. Well, not just that. Valuable fly up skills the wing. For a he, ran, he ran the offside line on that. He did. A, yes. He did a real wide forwards run where he, he ran parallel and kept himself yes. just on side and then hooked around to get to that ball. Like it, it happened right in front of me. And I was like, holy cow, Boswell knows what he's doing up there. How poor much does he do this in training? Poor Miguel Aguilar is even behind Bobby Boswell. <laughs> on the wing. Oh no. Uh, what have we done? Um, but yeah, I think he's, he's going to be around. I don't know that he'll be a starter at the end of 2017. And I think United needs to go out and find top line talent at center back this off season, whether or not Boswell or Burnbaum leaves this off season. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that is on the list because you have to always be improving and you never know when a player is going to leave or go down to injury or something else. So I think you, you have to go out and, 
be looking for talent either in a trade or uh, in the draft or looking abroad. I think that has to be on United's list this offseason. We're going to save Julian Buescher for next week uh, because we're running pretty long here. But we will be right back to talk about the MLS Cup playoffs and the U.S. men's national team. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... Oh, you are. In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We are going to talk some MLS Cup playoffs now. And I know DC United fans, it's not always easy, but there is good news in this. Uh, the playoffs are down to their last four teams. And for the first time ever, we will see a Canadian team in the MLS Cup final. And that is down to what happened on either side of the Hudson River on Sunday. We'll get to those games in just a second. We're going to go through these in chronological order. Um, first up, the Colorado Rapids beat the LA Galaxy 1-0 on the day, tied them 1-1 to in aggregate. It went to penalties where uh, Gio Dos Santos shot it over the bar, and Tim Howard saved two other penalty takers to put the, the Rapids through surprisingly comfortably in penalties. Like Penalties aren't a comfortable thing, but after the first couple, it never really felt like the decision was in doubt, which is weird for penalties. Yeah, anytime you only have three players shoot and you've won, you you've, I mean, that's the minimum number of players that can shoot and for you for you to get to your win. Um, and the fact that the Gal- I mean, the Galaxy scored their first penalty and then did not make any more. Um, and scored so the, it from Steven Gerrard. Yes, uh, who otherwise didn't really make any sense coming into this game. Um, it was a yeah, strange thing I'm, to I'm see. I'm a little bummed Landon Donovan wasn't able to shoot it over the bar, but we did get to see. <laughs> Someone on the Galaxy wearing number 10 do that in Dos Santos. Maybe they should just stop having people who wear that number from taking penalties during shootouts. Retired out of derpiness, not out of honor. (laughs) Something like that. Uh, I mean, it it was an interesting game. Uh, It wasn't the funnest game um, because the Rapids played the way they wanted and the Rapids don't play fun soccer to watch. Um, and the galaxy just didn't have it in them to create anything to really, um, 
I mean, Tim Howard saves the penalties, but he didn't really do anything during regular. I mean, there was the moment uh, heading into uh, the extra time period where he had the goalkeeper come up, coach come out and fire a few shots at him so he could like resharpen up <laughs> because he just hadn't had anything to do. Um, and I know during the game, there was a stretch where the Rapids went like 45 minutes between shots on goal. Like they scored their goal Man. and then the, the, uh, the full time whistle was approaching and they still hadn't had another shot on goal since then. Let's um, talk about that shot on goal though. Yeah. Holy uh, cow. Skelton Gashi. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, at this point it's become known that he is a threat from long range and obviously at altitude, there's always the. The extra, the thin air changes things a little bit more. It makes it more likely for those shots to go in. Um, and that would swerve frame, yeah. a wicked swerve. Right. That, you know, that ball had all kinds out. of things. Yeah. All kinds of things going on. Um, I mean, Brian Rowe did have a clear look at it. And I did see Bruce Arena um, did note that, you know, if he had had a little bit better technique, he might have gotten to that ball, which is true. And that's actually kind of why you have to sort of knock Brian Rowe a little bit. I know people in LA are, are falling in love with him and, and his, I've seen a couple of statistical models that try and say that he is better than people are saying, but Um, from a technical perspective, Bruce Arena loves, Bruce Arena loves having keepers in the bottom half of MLS keepers. See Josh Saunders. Yeah. He would much rather have all his money on the field. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, that's kind of the world that that they live in is that they've said we're going to spend this much money on the attacking side of the ball and we have to find value elsewhere. Um, I mean, it's not like they don't spend on their back four with with Bandama right. and, and Cole, but um, you know, goalkeeper is a position where they're like, we're just going to hope that the you know gigantic crop of acceptable American goalkeepers yields one that is decent or better. Um, and then for a time, they didn't do that. They went uh, to CONCACAF. They had Donovan Ricketts. They had uh, Jaime Pinedo. None of them were particularly good. Um, nope. Pinedo, they actually, when he arrived, they found out that he wasn't used to uh, the traditional goalkeeping drills. Because in Central America, they do a completely different set of drills. They do a lot of, like, jumping in the sand and things like that um, to strengthen the legs. And the goalkeeper coach was like, and it's Matt Reese, who is a longtime MLS goalkeeper, was like, we need to, like, get you on different things. Like you don't have strength in the right areas to be good. This is not a good sign, by the way, for their scouting. Um, This is the kind of thing they should know coming in. Um, But anyway, um, you know, the galaxy put their best available 11 on the field at the start Um, with uh, Boateng injured during the week. That really hurt them in in terms of, uh, being able to break out and maybe open the game up a little. Mike McGee did not do his Mr. Playoffs um, uh, character that didn't show up this time. He, he was, tried. He he had a couple of shots that were blocked that, that yeah. looked he tried, like they but, would have been dangerous. He tried, but also normally when McGee is really involved, he's all over the place. And this was a game mm-hmm. where it's like, has Mike McGee done anything in like half an hour? Right. Um, you know, Donovan got subbed at halftime with tightness was the only um, – the only word we got during the game was just a sideline report of tightness and the galaxy wouldn't say anything more, which is kind of, kind of silly, but that's life. Um, and their, their formation kind of fell apart when they started having to make moves. When, um, Husidic was out on the wing, he's not really a good wide player. Um, that was when Donovan came out. That's what happened. Um, when Alan Gordon, who unsurprisingly was only able to go an hour, given that he hasn't really been a 90 minute player for years now. And he went 90 in the first leg, 
and at altitude. Um, it's not surprising that he couldn't do more than an hour. But when Robbie Keane came in, it meant that you've got a guy that wants to be a second forward dropping into Dos Santos's uh, area of the field. Um, they're very incompatible players, and you also lose your back-to-goal presence, your aerial presence. Um, and then their third sum was was Gerard for uh, Mike McGee, and they ended up with their two starting defensive midfielders ended up on the right and left wings at the end of the game <laughs> um, to make room for Gerard, who can't run, to make room for Keane, who doesn't fit that system. Um, it's It was really... Yeah. I mean, it's know, not like they were going to go out necessarily go out and get a goal late in that game so getting penalty takers on makes a certain amount of sense even if it didn't I, work i don't even know if they were i mean they you know the donovan sub was forced um yeah, that's true the gordon sub was most likely forced um mcgee for gerard i mean i once they decided to bring him to colorado you knew they were going to throw him in but yeah um it just they ended up needing an individually great player to overcome the fact that they have some sort of glaring flaw, um, or in Dos Santos's case, ignoring the fact that the other two great players will get in his way, um, and they were just sort of banking on one of them to pull a rabbit out of their hat and and save them, um, and so they got rid of functional tactical scheme and just said, here are guys, they're good, hopefully they figure it out somehow, which is what they did all year and what didn't work all year for them even though the galaxy did have a good record and they only lost like seven times, um, mm-hmm. they, they still ended up, let's, yeah, they, they still ended up looking like a, a, a busted team and they're out yeah. of the playoffs as a result. The Rapids move on. Uh, the next game on Sunday was the Red Bulls hosting the Montreal impact. <laughs> I made that same sound when I came in and saw that it was one, nothing impact. The impact won the game two to one. They won the series three to one and they are through Metro playoff failure is back again. And it's, it tastes as good as ever. We need a beer called MPF. It'd beer be makers? wonderful. It'd, it would be, it would be a Goza because it would be salty to represent their tears. I think, um, that's as, that's as far as I've gotten on brainstorming it. So beer makers, please, please make Metro playoff failure beer, release it in November every year. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, not, Nacho Piatti is better than everyone. He scored two goals in this game and he's single-handedly like he's been the MVP of the playoffs probably, which is saying something when yeah. Jovinko has about eight goals in three games. Um, I don't know how much of an exaggeration is. I don't think that's much of one, but Piotti has been carrying his team and it's, it's something to see. And he also had the quote of the playoffs after this game saying, yeah, you know, the Red Bulls are good during the regular season, but we knew that they were a weak team in the playoffs. And so we came in here and did our thing. (laughs) It was just such a, excuse me, such a cold blooded quote. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that entire the Red Bulls organization is going to be having nightmares about Ignacio Piatti, um, with uh, you know Chris Duvall getting getting faked out of out of existence virtually, um, and then Luis Robles being caught uh, going the wrong way and and not really. I mean, Piatti's shot probably turns into a goal even if the goalkeeper makes a save because there's a rebound and Mancosu was was right there. But you know, at least you make the save. Um, but Robles didn't even get that part right because he was also fooled mm-hmm. um, by what Piotti was up to on the first goal and, and really the back-breaking goal. Um, Speaking of keepers that are uh, in the bottom half of MLS, 
I wouldn't go that far. No, he's uh, on the bottom half. He's yes, just not yes, in the top yes. three, which a lot of people seem to miss every what year. About, what about the only, top seven of uh, only Only US a lot of people in the tri-state area. Um, Northern Jersey and New York City. That's where that belief happens. No one else believes that. As um, a bit of a tangent, I did find a uh, quote-unquote analytic rating of MLS goalkeepers that explained none of its methodology and seemed to be fairly ridiculous. But I love, I just loved the fact that it had uh, Luis Robles near the very bottom of MLS goalkeepers based on its whatever unknowable rating. Yeah, system. I saw, I saw the, the list as well. And I went to that guy's Twitter and at some point he admitted it was just straight up his eyeball test. There were no numbers just, behind it. It was just him saying, this is not based on raw talent. This is based on, my perception of the performance this year. And and that's fine. But uh, I, I agree. Robles, as long as we treat it like it's an eyeball test then. Yes. That's all. Yeah, um, he, he kind of formatted it and made it look like it was something more than that. Right. Which, good branding, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the impact did what, what everyone knew they were going to do once, you know, what, they showed what they could do at RFK and they did it again um, in this one. And they never really looked that. I mean, they had to defend inside the box a lot, but uh, other than a, a couple misses from Wright Phillips and a couple of those came after it was one nothing Montreal, that was pretty much it. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Red Bulls didn't really create a lot. They went to four four two. They pulled there Felipe. Was a fantastic out. moment. There was a fantastic moment where Aurelian Collin had a chance to score on a header and put it wide, and Dax McCarty just flipped out like. Was yeah, just beside himself, talking to himself, not yelling at Colin, just yelling into the ether as he, well, he jogged back to midfield. He was just—he was, he was probably still traumatized by the fact that BWP missed two ridiculous sitters. Yeah, he—he he was not in a great place. Yeah. Um, Jason, you said Felipe got oh, yeah. pulled in this one. That—that that felt good. Yeah, that was fun because he was clearly upset, but also he'd picked up a yellow earlier in the game and was probably going to get himself sent off. Um, and it's almost better to see him get hauled off uh, before that. Um, I I couldn't help but be amused by it. Um, yeah, the, the, the impact style of play is going to take a lot of work for somebody to break them down because they're so, they're so good at getting into a good shape defensively. Um, and the nature of, of what you have to do to break that down is either something tremendously difficult or something that involves committing a lot of numbers forward. And if you commit a lot of numbers forward, they hit you on the counter and they're clearly, if not the best counterattacking team in MLS, then like top two, um, yeah. they are um, something to see because they've got Oduro who can stretch the field and is always a threat to beat anybody. And Piotti is, um, a living nightmare to deal with uh, on in any kind of space. If he's got the ball and his head's up and he's running, you're in deep trouble. Um, you're almost better off just fouling him wherever it is and taking whatever the consequence is. Um, yeah. Because if you let him run at you, you probably are going to be beaten and embarrassed. Um, and if he doesn't do it himself, Mateo, Mateo Mancosu is excellent at just finding whatever gap is left behind while everyone scrambles and just being in the right spot. And, and Piotti knows like, oh, I'm not going to be able to go to goal. Where's the opening going to be? Oh, look, Mateo's there. Great. And uh, it's it's just that easy. I mean, counterattacking soccer has uh, – the good news is that they're not um, they're not as boring to watch as, as Colorado because they actually 
when they do break forward, it's usually a very thrilling and uh, skillfully run counter. Um, right, they're not there aren't that many of them. The right, there aren't that many of them. And I think they only took seven or eight shots uh, in this game. Um, but when they do come forward, it's always dangerous, and you always get to see some very skillful play or an excellent passes involved. It's not just hoofing it up and then like working hard until you know the Colorado strategy of you know in this case it was let's hope Gashi can score a goal from thirty yards because we don't have any other ideas. Thirty six. Yes, or, no, I thought I saw one that said thirty seven. I think um, okay, Paul like, Carr. Th- from ESPN said that it was a 37 yard goal and it was the longest goal uh, scored since ESPN started keeping stats on that themselves. So oh, wow. I think it's, I was five just basing years. my estimate on the, the grass cuttings, knowing right. that the, the wide bands are six yards and right. there were six of them between think, him and the goal. <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, it, it was probably right. I mean, it's, it's always a yard or two off, you know, judging yeah. the distance of a shot, but yeah, uh, a potentially historically long uh, goal-scoring shot, and not a lob, uh, not a no. goalkeeper caught off his line, but a powerful shot with a goalkeeper in the, at least at the start, in the right space. So, but yeah, Mo- Montreal could easily take out Toronto. They could they could take anyone in this this field at this point. They are a legitimate threat to win the whole thing. They could be like the Colorado Rapids in 2010, but you know, with actual skillful <laughs> players. Yeah, the Rapids of this year are much more like the Rapids of 2010. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other Eastern Conference game, New York City FC zero, <laughs> Toronto FC five, uh, TFC won that seven nothing on aggregate, shattering the record for the largest uh, aggregate margin in MLS Cup playoffs. I think the previous uh, largest margin was three over two legs. And it's an they, extreme statement of MLS parity, by the way. Yes, uh, like <laughs> never I think the more big, than three in all of those. But the yeah. biggest one was four to one. Um, there might have been a five to two in there on aggregate, mm-hmm. but it it's unbelievable um, that they more than doubled it with a seven nothing aggregate win. And NYCFC is going to have to have to live that down. Patrick Vieira went back to his more usual tactics in this game. It didn't matter. Uh, Jovinko was on God mode. Josie Altidore scored a ridiculous uh, volleyed goal that just hopefully he does that in Columbus on Friday. That's really all I can say about that. Uh, We will preview all these games, uh, I think, next week. But for now, let's move on to the last game of the weekend. FC Dallas won the game 2-1, lost the series 4-2 against Seattle. Um, Jason, how much... Do you think they, they take some pride in this game? What what else can they take away from this? Winning the game, losing the series after, you know, the failure um, that was 3 nothing Seattle in the first leg? Uh, I mean, there's not really much. You, can't, you, you don't really take much pride when you lose a two-legged series if you win right. the last game because you know that that last game wasn't a, you know, it wasn't played in a vacuum. You played with the aggregate score hanging over your head. Um, I think Dallas did give themselves a real chance. I think they approached the game correctly. Um, they got their goal as sort of an awkward goal, but they got it. Um, and at one, nothing headed in the halftime, they were in a perfect spot not a perfect spot, but given the scenario coming in, um, I, and I said this during the game, I, I put this out on Twitter that they had to cut the game up into chunks and say, all we need to do is if we're in at halftime and it's one, nothing we're we're okay. One, nothing at home, 
you get the second goal in the, in the next 15 mm-hmm. to 20 minutes after the half starts, all of a sudden Seattle's worried, all of a sudden the crowd's going crazy, and you've got all the momentum going. Um, so they set themselves up to take that second step towards a what would have been quite a comeback. You know, you're still talking about a difficult thing. Um, and then coming out of the halftime, um, Seattle appeared to be caught off guard at the last possible moment with a Jordan Morris injury. Um, I was half expecting him to find out on the sideline that he had like gotten hurt running out of the locker room to come back on the field. <laughs> like it was that last second. Um, they sent O'Neal Fisher in at left back. They moved, Jer- um, Jovan Jones. I was about to say Jermaine Jones. Um, too many JJs. Uh, Jovan Jones moved up, uh, to the wing, which is actually where he was playing when he, um, helped Seattle beat Sean Franklin. Yeah. Help. He, um, so he, he's got some experience there, but it was still a like scrambled and confusing substitution right at the moment the half was about to start. That really should have given Dallas the the perfect opportunity to pounce on a team that was scrambling and confused. But Seattle actually had made whatever adjustments they made in the locker room were the right adjustments. They were pressuring. Um, they kind of risked, you know, they, they kind of took the risk of giving up that second goal in pursuit of a goal of their own, knowing what that would mean. And it, when Lodero scored, it wasn't like they scored out of the blue, they the last like four the four or five minutes before that goal had come were all Seattle. Um, they were putting in crosses. They were sending numbers forward. They were getting looks. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say they put Dallas under siege, but they were definitely the more dangerous team to start the half. And they got their goal, and that was it. You know, the game was over. I, there were some jokes about um, the guys at Sounder at Heart were were upset that the announcers were talking about the ga- oh it's game on. They're like the game. This game is not on. This game is over. Um, <laughs> And they were right. They were right to to kind of mock that because, you know, Uruti scored two minutes later, but that just put Dallas back on where they were at the start of the game, except now 56 minutes are gone. Um, right. And also and, in need of an away goal on top well, of... I mean, I mean... Or not an away point, goal. They need to overcome point, they just goal. need three, you know. You know yeah. So oh, they, were, they were where they were when they started, um, which when you've lost 56 minutes um, is not, not really good. You don't really have time to lose 56 minutes when you need three goals. And especially um, when you don't have uh, Lamar Nagel to score multiple late goals for you. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they tried, they made some moves. Um, Carlos Ruiz came in, which is probably why they deserve to lose uh, at the end, <laughs> um, because they could no longer say that they were a morally upstanding organization. Well, and that's the only reason why 2013 happened for DC United was clearly <laughs> Carlos um, Ruiz. Yeah, let's, let's but, go uh, with that. Yeah, you know, Seattle managed the game from there pretty effectively, even though Dallas had. Um, they went to two forwards. They were still pushing their fullbacks up really high. Kellen Acosta was left by himself. Um, Carlos Guerrezo, this is kind of a funny thing that Dallas did in this game. When uh, Ruiz came in, you might have noticed he was carrying a note, which uh, people still get upset about, but it's like the only good way to tell your team that you're changing tactics. You can't just stand there and scream when you're in a stadium full of thousands of people who are also screaming. It's not going to work. Um but what they did was they moved Guerrezo back to center back. They didn't go to a back three when they took Walker Zimmerman out. They just sent Guerrezo, who is like a five foot seven defensive midfielder, and said, like, any defending we're going to be doing is just sprinting backwards anyway. So you're going to be there. Um, our fullbacks are still going to bomb forward like they have all game. Um, and we'll just have one less defensive midfielder and we'll stay with a back four. 
um, quote unquote, a back four. Um, And so they really were throwing a ton of numbers forward, but Seattle really pretty comfortably dealt with it uh, to their credit. You didn't see, um, you know, there was a moment in the first half that almost turned into a brawl, but, you know, Dallas usually plays with a lot of emotion and they toe that line between going too far and not. And, Seattle's got a couple players that are prone to that. Osvaldo Alonso came into the game with a yellow, so if he had been booked, he would have missed the first leg. Um, and they managed the game so well that he didn't get booked. They weren't really giving up chances. Stefan Fry wasn't busy. Um, and so Dallas went from, you know, potentially one of the best teams in MLS history, um, and now they'll be one of those teams that gets thought of as like, well, you know, if only for – if not for Moro Diaz's injury, what could have happened? But it's not the same thing as like, wow, those guys did that. Like it actually happened. It's now it's a what if scenario, which is never what you want. Right. They still are a double winning side in yeah. 2016, which is a real good thing to be like. That's a Im- really impressive, especially speech. for an organization that previously had one trophy. Yeah, they, they in 1997, yeah. um, where they stopped DC from from winning three with a penalty kick win in the Open Cup bastards let's turn our attention now um i'm not going to use that interjection as a uh, as a segue i'm not going to do it damn it i will not do it let's turn our attention now to jürgen klinsman and the u.s men's national team who will host mexico in the hexagon turns its lonely eyes to you something like that <laughs> god bless you please mr klinsman uh Friday night, 7.45, listed start time. I don't know when the actual kickoff is. It'll be on... 8.01 was the rumor I saw. Okay. Uh, It'll be on Fox Sports 1 and Univision here in the U.S. A lot of questions about who Klinsman might start, and it's impossible to know because he's Klinsman. And even though he's been running out a 4-1-3-2 with Michael Bradley at the base of uh, a, a faux diamond... Um, he'll be a number 10 in this game. Cause why not? Yeah, he, he very well could be. Jurgen Klinsman has used him there before. We might see a flat four, four, two. We might see a four, two, three, one. We have no idea what is going through that man's head. That's two. He's played that before. Yeah, I would. He played it for a half after spending two weeks of camp building up to it and then gave it up at halftime. Yep. Uh, I'm still annoyed about that game. Jason, how do you think Klinsman runs them out in this game? Uh, I mean, it's, it's always difficult to say. Um, you know, I've got the the roster. I'm staring at it. And I'm trying to get some semblance of. Does Jurgen think he can play two goalkeepers in a in a World Cup qualifier? That's. I mean, the good news is that there's no limit. I mean, he could theoretically call up every able-bodied male soccer player in the United States if he wanted to. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you, Ben, he could call you up. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and you're getting called Ben. Yes. <laughs> Give ben. him a free trip to Columbus. Ben for USMNT. I, I wouldn't have to pay much to go to Columbus because I could just go see my parents and drive the two hours to Columbus. It's more but than two hours to Columbus. From my, par- from my parents' house, it is. Oh, I see. Okay. Gotcha. But yes, if Jurgen wants to pay for me to go to Columbus, I will suit up. <laughs> I'm um, here for you, Jurgen. As a person who hasn't played we, soccer since sixth grade. We would then have to discuss Ben's lack of qualifications to get on the field. It's um, true. 
at length, the, the, I would assume. The primary one being I haven't played since sixth grade. That's a that's a that's a knock, I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> it's a knock for your candidacy <laughs> to play in this game. Um doesn't play great for you. I don't have to play, I just need to be on the roster. Well yeah, if you're on the roster, I mean you might not make the game day eighteen though. That's okay. Um I don't you, need to. You could just score some uh unfortunate looking Nike gear. Um, yeah, that's all that's some all of their warm up stuff actually doesn't look bad. Um so you could hang out in that, and you could just deal with the fact that you're wearing a weirdly colored... Uh, well, if he doesn't make the game day roster, he doesn't get a game day shirt. He doesn't get a game that's day jersey. That's true. But, yeah. I, but, I, but I would get... War- that's kind would of the best case scenario for Ben. Yeah, I, I would get some warm-up gear, and that's about, and a free trip to Columbus to watch the game. That's true. That's, that's a tough ticket to score. So it sounds like a win-win-win for yeah. me. He'd probably yeah. watch it from um, a suite. Not that, not that Crew Stadium, or sorry, Mafre Stadium, has, has a lot of suites, but... You know, Ben would get face in the bar, and where, where, yeah, where, wherever I am would probably have free food at the very least. So, right. Um, but I guess with real players, um, guys that might <laughs> you actually what you're play saying, I'm game. not a real player. No, I'm not. Yes. I, I agree with <laughs> that, that. Is exactly what we're saying. I agree um, with that statement. I we know t- Tim Howard was named the number one. Um, we, which makes it the- even more ridiculous. He called up four keepers. It does, um, especially when one of them is clearly not qualified for this level of play. Um, but we know Yedlin will be at right back. Um, I feel like it'll be Gonzalez, but Burnbaum's definitely that's the, maybe the closest question in the back four is which which one of them will be uh, partnering John Anthony Brooks. Um, Cameron Carter Vickers is not going to get that start. I think he's just along for the experience. Um, Probably Klinsman called uh, Spurs and were like, are you going to use him anytime soon? And they were like, no, he's not going to play these games. And they said, okay, well, then can he hang out with us for a little while? Um, Which is fine. You know, you're not doing any harm there. Um, Spurs' response was, what is in Ohio? (laughs) What are you talking about? Um, Who is is this? They They would also ask, what is in Indiana? I would assume Klinsman would be like, I'm Jurgen Klinsman. I played for you. It was it was a big deal, um, but uh, I feel like Fabian Johnson ends up at left back, which again oh, yes, yet another chance to bring up the fact that that's so stupid because we don't need to have him there. We could call in Jorge Villafania, and it would be or your best the best left back available. Johnny the, Bornstein, Johnny Bornstein. Who, no, he would no, just no. also be an option. Just won the uh, Copa Amekis uh, with yeah, I mean, Caratero. Everyone rips on Johnny Bornstein from yes. the Bob Bradley era, but he's really not a bad option. Also, no, especially people, a lot when of people that rip on him haven't seen him play forward. since he went to Mexico. Um, well, that too. But yeah, at that point seen, you get... He was last hmm? seen, you know, winning the Hex at RFK Stadium. Right. Um, but yeah, if, if Johnson isn't needed at left back, you have him and uh, Pulisic on the wings... And all of a sudden, your best players are starting to be in your best positions for for them. Um, but instead, it'll probably be Johnson at left back um, because you can't have – I say you can't have Michael Roscoe start this game, but you guys know that the chances of him starting this game are like 15 to 20 percent. Like <laughs> they're uncomfortably high. Um, they're not above 50, but they're not like maybe 25 percent even. Um 
Timmy Chandler's in there, but, you know, he hasn't really justified the call-ups whenever he's been with the national team. When has that ever stopped, Jurgen? That's true. Um, Matt Beasler has played left-back recently for the national team. Not that he is a left-back, but um, I guess that's the other way to make it happen, but also, that's also, not a good option. Also, uh, Steve Birnbaum has played right-back, so you could have Yedlin at left-back. Yedlin can't play left-back. No, but Again, when has that ever that stopped right Hunsman? And put Pulisic. No, no Yedlin's the, the move. The move with Yedlin is always to move him further up the field, that's um, right. and make him yeah, a winger rather than a. But uh, you know, the midfield is hard. To, it's hard to parse the midfield because does he this, play? Does he play? Pulisic has to play, right? Yeah, yeah, that that seems to be beyond question at this point. I mean, he is arguably the best or second best midfielder on the team. Um, so that that isn't so much the issue. It's that do you play four two three one, um, or do you play some sort of four four two? Jermaine Jones is healthy, so he's going to start. Um, that's an he's the only unquestioned starter at this point. Is that if Jermaine Jones shows up, he gets to play. Um, Sasha Question, I think, would have been a guaranteed starter, but he, the Red Bulls said he didn't break his nose. But how did they said it was a he cut. obviously broke his nose. They said it was a cut inside his nose. But how do you get a cut inside your nose from an elbow without also breaking your nose? Like the we saw the replay of Donadell's flailing arm. It did not go all the way up in there to cut something. It hit the surface. <laughs> it's a surface nose uh, hit. Uh, so I don't know how that works. Um, but if his nose is fine, if he can breathe and function, then you have to assume he's going to start. Um, Bradley. I mean, we could see start. Jermaine Jones on the left. Because that's something that's, Klinsman has done before, too. That has definitely happened. Um, or in center back. You know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing some sort of four-one-four-one where Bradley's deep and then Jones and Question are to either side of him. Uh, Pulisic is on the right, and then you have to figure out... That would actually left, make sense. We have to figure out a left winger. Um, right. That's the one knock here because it, it Fabian be, Johnson is unavailable. It should be Fabian Johnson. It but, should be, yeah. but it won't yeah. be. Um, I mean, you have you have Ale Bedoya. You have uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see him on the wing, uh, or at least on the left in a formation with five midfielders. I mean, Klinsman um, loves him some Julian Green too. Yeah, we can't rule uh, that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things we can't rule there's out. There's Graham Zusi on this roster. We we can be confident that Bobby Wood is going to start up front, um, but not yes. like locked in confident. Um, right. And the fact that Altidore is playing so well means that you know Josie's maybe he's almost have, definitely going to start. Right, so maybe you don't have room for five midfielders. Right, um, at which point, but this you're is what we get into. Right, which which is what we always run into with with Klinsman is that um, he doesn't really know how to put the pieces together unless, a lot of times, and unless then maybe he drops Josie to a number ten, which I feel like he's done or would be happen. willing to do. Well, or to, actually, you know, maybe we do go three five two, and then Yedlin and Johnson are wingbacks, which combines fullback and. And wide midfield, and you have five midfielders, and you have two forwards. But then done. you have nowhere for Christian Pulisic. So not done. Right. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I think with Altidore and Wood, you're going to end up – we're going to see some sort of four four two, um, and someone like Question might not get to start at that point. Um, we know Bradley and Jones and Pulisic are going to be in, so there's only room for one more player if Question is on the left. Um, you end up with the old Jones and Bradley incompatibility problem because Jones goes wherever he pleases. Um, yep. So well, Bradley's yeah, been know. playing Jones more as a six lately, so maybe he's willing to do that more now. 
Yeah, but you still end up with him doing it all by himself because Jones yeah. won't have the discipline to stay near him. So maybe Jones is on the left, which will be maddening, but, you know, we've seen it enough times where we can't be surprised anymore. Um, yeah, it's, as always with Klinsman, it's a near impossible lineup to predict. The only, the only saving grace here, I think, is that, uh, um, Juan Carlos Osorio is coaching Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, if you want to find a question, a more how, unpredictable how, coach, that's him. Yeah. 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 How I, I won't ask what their lineup will be or their formation or anything like that. Mentally, how do they approach this game, especially with the Dos Acero history? It'll be partly cloudy in temperature in the upper 40s, so it's not exactly La Guerra right. Fria in there this time. But knowing that every time they've walked into this building for the past, what, more than long? Four, 14 years? Yeah. 12, 14 years. years. 15 years? They, mm-hmm. They've lost by the same scoreline of multiple goals every time. Uh I mean, I don't think they're going to change their approach. Um, I think Osorio's way of dealing with it is going to tell them to just treat it like a normal game. Um, I think the issue that they're going to run into is that he's going to tell them to treat it like a normal game, but then he is going to be unable to resist the urge to weirdly tinker with his lineup because that is what he always does in all circumstances. Um, he he can't help himself. Um and I think that might undermine whatever strength of, of mentality they might have coming in that they might establish during their camp and the buildup. He might undermine it then with his, his final lineup choice because those players are smart enough to know a lineup that doesn't make any sense. Um, and Mexico has a long tradition in their within their roster of players basically losing confidence over something like that. Um, Gio Dos Santos just missed a penalty, so he'll have that weighing over his head. Um which he's been in and out of that team uh, because of the various extremely complicated dynamics going on with the Mexican national team that are always in place. Um, but yeah, there's a certain level of fragility there that seems to kind of bode well for the U.S. because when Klinsman puts a, a dumb lineup on the field, the U.S. players still try their best to make it work. Um, they don't fall to pieces when the coach has done something wrong. Um Whereas Mexico, that that group of players, that that roster has a long tradition, and a lot of those guys have been there for a long time, where they don't play up to the best of their ability when they don't feel like things are perfect. Um, and Osorio, I mean, the co- players too might be thinking, uh, you know, people were talking about firing Osorio not long ago. Um, they were saying he was just barely hanging on to the job. Maybe... Um, on in some part of their mind, they might be thinking like, if we lose this game and he goes, we'll be better for the final nine games of the hexagonal anyway. Um, I'm not saying they're going to actually give up so that he gets fired, but you know, there's going to be some conflicted feelings in there because there are always conflicted feelings with Mexico's national team. Yes. Um, it's always dramatic. Um, the way that they, I mean, the way that they determine the head coach doesn't even make sense. The, the owners of the Mexican clubs have to get together and agree um, yeah. and they pick the team or the, the coach that's nonsense. Um, but you know, that's the Mexican national team. That's how it's been forever. Yeah. Can you imagine I'll if, treat- can you imagine if Greg Vanny had a vote on the U.S. men's national team head coach? Actually, I can, I'm pretty sure his, he would vote for Jurgen Klinsmann. What about Dom Kinnear? Dom Kinnear would vote for Dom Kinnear, <laughs> which would be awesome. By the way, just, I think- he would just constantly be voting for Bruce arena. <laughs> oh, and Bruce, Bruce would like, definitely Bruce is like 
Bruce is like, stop it. I don't want that job. <laughs> Bruce would vote for Sunil. Just to <laughs> stick it to Sunil. Protest vote. Uh, Bruce Arena just votes for Jill Stein. <laughs> Let's not get into coach. that. She'd do a better job than Jurgen. That's all I'm saying. I don't know if I'd go that far. That's that's as high a phrase for Jurgen as I'm I would, to give. I would definitely go that far. Anything else to add before we sign off for the night? Hearing please none. Don't, please don't leave us, Steve Birnbaum. Or <laughs> Lucio Acosta. Or Yeah. Or Bill. Bill Hamid. Or don't Bill. leave us. Yes. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, we accept hate mail, and we gladly accept advertising inquiries. Find us on iTunes, find us on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell a friend about us whenever you find yourself talking about DC United, even though the season is over. We really appreciate it when you do that. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Tried to stop me. Goodbye, Jason. The sign was painted, said private property, but on the back side it didn't say nothing. This land was made for you and me.